This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Tuesday, October 27, 2020. And have you noticed that many parts of the country were getting cold? Snow in some parts, rain, cold. Not here in Southern California. I think we had a cool night last night, but it's been pretty warm. It was warm in Texas. That's where I was last week visiting relatives. And it was pretty warm uh, until, until the last day. Then it rained very heavily and cooled off. But Looks like we're into fall season. Holiday season coming up. It's going to be a very different holiday season. Holiday, holiday festive, fest, festivities are going to be massively different. How about Halloween? Do you think uh, we're going to have many trick-or-treaters? I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, then how much visitation for Thanksgiving? People are going to go visit each other? Traveling, I think, is going to be down pretty pretty far. Pretty Pretty weak traveling, I think. I mean, uh, I'm going to a wedding this weekend, and everybody has to have a COVID test, and there's only so so many people allowed, so it's going to be it's different. Till we get that vaccine out there, or better, uh, better um, procedures to to take care of this, and I, I think we're getting very close. We're getting very very close to that. We will have a vaccine probably before year end. And now it's a question of how good and how many people will take it. But that's a whole different issue than not having one. So, been a pretty wild year. Pretty pretty volatile year for stocks and volatile year for the economy. You know, so you got to learn to deal with it. And I'm hoping that, I, that Justin and I are helping you do that on this radio and podcast. I'm Steve Peasley. And today in this program... I will do my best to provide unbiased answers to your financial and investment questions. And I know you want strategies to help you deal with this, you know, pretty crazy market, but we can help. I can help with that. I mean, I can't give you advice per se over the radio or over the podcast because the SEC doesn't allow those people who manage money for a living, like me, a registered investment advisor, or Justin, or my firm, we can't give uh, just... Uh, certain, we can't talk about certain things over the radio. You can, we can answer any questions, but we can't say things that we're doing with our managed accounts. We can't, we can't really give any details. It's, it's, it's against the rules. It's forbidden. So the market today was down, or well, we'll call it a mixed market. The Dow was down 222 points, but the Nasdaq was up 72. And you see, it was yesterday. It was hugely down. Uh, midday, the Dow was down like 900 points midday before it started to crawl back. The S&P was down 10 today. So the Nasdaq was up. The rest of the market was pretty much down. So that's how the market reacted today. We are, what, a week away from the election, the presidential election, and we're not going to get any stimulus package, which I've been saying for several months now that we probably wouldn't because Neither side wants to give the other side any kind of hint of a victory of putting side together. They don't really care about us too much, do they? They really don't. They care about their power a lot more than they care about us. Just remember that when, uh, whenever you hear them talking. <laughs> I've been around a long time, and you know it's a bunch of words most of the time. Anyways, let's go ahead and get take our first call. We've got to get going. Glenn in Pleasanton called. How are you doing, Glenn? Good. How are you doing, Steve? 
I'm good. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I've had AT&T for years and years and years, and I'm just wondering if it's time to get off it. It's been disappointing through this COVID thing, and I'm just wondering what you think of it. Is it a sell now or well, is it a hold? I, I think it's a hold. It goes to low twenty in the mid, about the mid twenties, and then up to the mid thirties. It's pretty consistent. If you want to get rid of it, I think if you hold on to it for another year, it'll be in the mid thirties, and that's when I would get rid of it. Mind you, you're, it's paying right now seven over a seven percent dividend. So you still you still got that. Have you figured that into your returns, Glenn? Because you know, you might surprise yourself. You might have a better return than you think if you had, you know, the five to eight percent dividend every year. I don't know if you've done that, but I would hold it for. I definitely hold it. It's at the low of its its range, and I don't like selling things at the low of their range. So wait till it gets above it, you know, until the mid part or or the high of its range, and then if you wanted to get at that, rid of it, that's when I would do it. And that's another, you know, that's thirty percent gain if it gets to there. So. I'd probably wait. I'd hold on to it. I own, we own AT&T and some of our managed accounts, and I'm doing the same thing. Glenn, appreciate the call. Thank you. You're investing to invest. Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. The markets, well, there's still plenty. There's still a lot of volatility there, and it's still going to continue. So for investors, you've got to remain vigilant. You've got to remain firm. You don't, don't get weak need yet. And without doubt, You've got to learn to manage your fear. And, of course, greed. Both Those are only two emotions that really drive things. Okay, um, we should take. We should talk about this, and your participation in, is very important in the show. So whatever you want to talk about financial, we'll talk about it. So give me a call. We're live at 888-99-CHART. The fourth quarter is moving fast. There's an autumn chill in the air and uncertainty in the markets. So you've got finance and investment questions for Steve and Justin. And the phone lines never close. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Lucy calling. Thanks for taking my call. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the stock FUBO, F-U-B-O. Look forward to hearing you on the show, and thank you. Bye. Okay, that's the symbol F-U-B-O, Fubo TV Inc. is the name of the company. provides live TV streaming platform for subscribers to access live sports events, news, and entertainment. They may, they've lost money. They've lost money ever since they've existed. They came out IPO last November, late November last year, oh, around $9 and today at $13.80. They got as low as $7 and as high as, oh, about $19.20 intraday. Uh, and now they've been, you know, been, they popped up from that $10 base they've been establishing uh, to $13.80 because sales jumped in the June quarter $44 million. They were $7 million the quarter before that. Quarter before that, sales were down, lost $1.6 million down. So it, it's a brand new company. And I, I can't, I, there's not a lot of detail. There's not a lot of information. Management owns 26%, so they own quite a bit of the company still. Um, uh, I don't have any numbers that tell me much, but they're not making money. Cash flow is negative. And you know how I feel about companies that don't make money. I don't buy companies that don't make money. I wait till they make money. Now, 
That doesn't mean there aren't a lot of winners that don't make money. It just means I have you know, been around a long time and I don't like buying companies that don't make money because you have no way to value them. I mean, yes, you can say, oh, sales are growing. They're growing sales, great. But when they make money, that's when I feel much more comfortable with trying to put a, a, a number on them, what, what they stock should sell for. So um, I just very difficult, very difficult at this point. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really interested. Okay, my focus point today concerns a story why one analyst is projecting that a deep stock market crash will occur again. We're talking deep, 20% more than that. One day. That's kind of interesting. We'll talk about that. But he's referring to Black Monday. Remember Black Monday? It crashed in 1987. Anyway, so that was a 20% fall in one day. He's saying that uh, statistically that's going to happen again. So I'll let you know what I think about that. Other topics I want to talk about. Things to fix before you retire. Things to fix in your house before you retire or you plan on selling it in retirement. Things you need should be fixing. How how prices and sales of existing homes have done. There was some there was some home uh, information poll, poll came out about prices, sales, and growth, and I want to talk about that. Um, now, more most investors, most investors expect a market crash. What do you think that means as far as the future? Most expect most investors are expecting one, a crash, a crash. But does that mean we should all expect a crash? So that's what I want to talk about too. Kind of what market dynamics was going on here. You know, and more from a short-term period to a long-term period. We had meetings on this today about the future of the market here. You know, next few months, next year. So maybe I can share some of that information with you. Okay, I think we can take another question here. We want to move fast. We've got lots of questions. This one came from Massachusetts. Hi, Steve. This is Aaron from Massachusetts. I have a question about MLPs or Mass Limited Partnerships. What are the market forces that move these up and down in price, and why do some consider them to be a diversification strategy? It's my understanding most of them are in the energy sector, so would it be part of my, the energy part of my portfolio or something separate entirely? Thanks very much for shedding some light. I would not consider them part of my energy portfolio. I would not. MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships, uh, because they are very volatile and they don't necessarily move up and down based on the fundamentals of whatever they're tracking. They are subject to interest rates. If interest rates move up and down uh, and the stock market movements, I don't I'm not I'm not a big fan of MLPs because of tax treatments. Some of them are very complex taxes, but sometimes you get K-1s for the dividends you're getting. K-1s because you're a limited partnership. I don't want a K-1. You know, uh, that makes me a partner. I'm a partner. And if I'm a partner, does that mean I also have the liabilities of those MLPs? And the answer would be, yeah, you could. So I don't like the structure very much. They pay usually a high dividends, and that's how they attract people. But I'm not a big fan of them. Not, not a big fan of them. Just my personal opinion. 888-99-CHART, everybody. 888-992-4278. What do you want to talk about? How about, how about 
Many stock investors are too young to remember Black Monday on October 1987. And why that's a problem? Because you're fearless. The people who don't remember how markets can crash and, and they don't experience, don't really fear that experience because it never happened. It never hit them in the gut that, hey, we lost 20% in one day. And there's been a, there's been some studies that show that we're going to have another one of those. Uh, a company, let's see, who was it who studied this? I'm trying to figure out, find out who, was, who made this study. But it, it was very interesting. They, Xavier, uh, let's see, the false number according to research conducted by Xavier Gabiax, an economist professor at Harvard University. Okay, so he says, you know, there's going to be another 20% crash within the next 100 years. Well, that's not very helpful, is it? 100 years? But what was more interesting is he predicted that there would be uh, three 10% crashes from 1987 uh, to today, and he's been right. There has been three, 10%. So that kind of lends him more credibility. But, you know, that 1987 crash was, what, 17.8 years ago? And his his model says it's they, they happen about every hundred years. Well, that's no helpful. I mean, that doesn't really help you or me. Is it more, what will be more helpful? Is it going to crash next year, the year after? How, how deep? Maybe we'll get into that before the end of the show. This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. In these uncertain times, it is natural for investors to be unsure of just how much of their portfolio valuation, valuation they should put at risk. Different people, of course, have different levels of risk tolerance. So how can you understand and deal with your risk? So my advice, and I've been talking about it a long time, free, our free risk questionnaire at investtalk.com, it's called Riskalyze. Justin and I can use the results to develop a strategy, help you understand how much risk you're taking, how much risk you're comfortable with. Riskalyze. It's just a short few questions and try to gauge how much risk you're comfortable with. I'm live, 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, good afternoon, KPP friends. My name's Johnny, and my first time was calling last week, and I really appreciated the advice, so I thought I'd call again and ask about a stock I've been analyzing all morning. One Oak, O-K-E. Obviously, the dividend caught my attention, but I really like the natural gas space because I feel like it's something that'll always be around and valuable. So my question is, what's your opinion on this company, and do you think it'll be a solid long-term retirement hold for my account? Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Well, I can tell you, I kind of like it. One Oak, Inc., it's a $13 billion company, so it's a large company. Engaged in natural gas and natural gas liquids, gathering and processing in the Rocky Mountain area. Um, sales have been shrinking uh, because of COVID for the last, well, you know, for at least a year, and uh, but now the shrinkage is slowing down. 
In other words, the most recent quarter, they shrank 4%. The dividend is about 12%. Okay, so they're going to make $2. They still make money, even though sales are shrinking. They're going to make $2.68 next year. They At their height, they made $3.07 a share. So they're going to make $2.68 and 12% dividend. That means they they might have trouble paying that dividend. But their cash flow is four dollars and twenty-five cents. They had a little bit more debt than I'm comfortable with. That's an issue. It's a twenty-nine dollar and thirty-two cent stock. The highest it was before COVID was around seventy. So I kind of like it because I think w- once the economy, you know, you, we're, you have to think ahead. The economy is going to return. Okay, so will that help this company? Yes, it will. So I kind of like the play. You might have to be a little patient, but what do you care if you're making 10% or more on your on the money as a dividend? So just be patient. It'll work. So it's a good, strong company, a little bit higher debt than I'm comfortable with, but I would look into that and find out why. How, much, how come so much debt? Let's go to Gene in North Carolina. He wants to talk about the 1987 crash. How are you doing, Gene? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Steve. So Thank this you. year, the October nineteenth is also a Monday, and yes. so the Friday before that was the sixteenth. Is that the third Friday of of the month and of the quarter of October? Is that when uh, the the options expire or something? Well, the, they they expire the third Friday of every month, and the third Friday would have been the sixteenth. Okay, and then right. the 19th was the Monday, and that's the anniversary of the 19, 19 Davidson crash. But it's not the triple witching hour, which is what you're referring to, which is the third Friday of the end of the quarter. The end of the quarter so was in be, September. That would have been the Friday in September then, the end of the quarter. Yes, exactly. Okay. And there was the reason why we're talking about in, the, in 1987, I know that, that, that led a couple of factors, I think, that I, that I heard about it. That led to this that, that stock market crash. Not only were the, the stock prices inflated or had to have a good run for the entire year in '87, but there was something that happened that Friday or the couple of days before the 19th, where I think a lot of uh, institutional investors they they invested somewhere else other than the stock market where they needed to pay it off. They needed to put money to pay off some. Something possibly to do with derivatives or commodities. I really didn't understand it's, what was said. But there was some well, other those days, market where they needed to raise money quickly, and that's why they, that's what one factor of why they sold stocks that month, next Monday. Did you hear anything like yeah. about that? I, I, there were several factors, you're right. Um, I don't really remember off the top of my head, and one of them was the options expiration. Um, but there, the market started to act a little bit weird a few days before the, the, the Monday. You know, like Thursday and Friday, uh, so uh, uh, you had you did have options issues. I don't really remember specifically. I got the I got the Wall Street Journal for that day, and maybe I should reread some of those articles and come up with maybe I'll have a better understanding. I, Gene, yeah, there was something about it. There's usually a catalyst of these things. There's usually it just doesn't come out of the air. Catalyst only years and years later when they actually studied it more. I actually don't think that they knew about it the next day what exactly all the factors were. But just just to yeah. uh, get back to the current state, 
I think there's also another factor that may make it harder to replicate that type of crash now, and that's because of, yeah. you, you remember, uh, the circuit breakers right now for, for yeah, some of the, the curbs, yeah. Yeah, they call them circuit breakers or curbs, where if they fall too much, I'm just trying to broaden this out so everybody else understands, Gene, where right now, because of that crash and because of that flash crash that happened, what, 10 years ago, eight years ago, I don't remember, uh, they implemented curbs which stops trading at a certain point uh, that are supposed to, you know, slow everything down and give everybody a chance to breathe. I really think, Gene, it's going to be computer-driven, the crash of the future. Because, yeah, they can put those curves in, but it's tough. Gene, appreciate the call. Thank you. Okay, uh, there's no denying our timeline now. We are into the fourth quarter, and before long, we'll have the holiday season and the start of the new year, January. Now, as we go to break, here's my trivia question. What is the so-called January effect? And when was it first noticed? Which year? The January effect. I'll have the answer after this break, but for now, my phone numbers and lines are open. I encourage you to give me a call and ask your questions. 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. What a difference a year makes. You've got finance and investment questions, and Steve Peasley is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Okay, I asked a trivia question before the break. What is the so-called January effect, and when was it first noticed? Which year? Okay, let me define it first. The January effect is perceived as a perceived seasonal increase in stock prices during the month of January. Analysts generally attribute this rally to an increase in buying, which follows a drop in price in December. Now, there's also a December rally, usually. But anyways, there, most, of, most analysts think it was because of tax loss selling before the end of the year. 
So there's opportunities in January to pick up stocks that were sold. Now, another possible explanation is, you know, uh, people get cash bonuses in in, uh, January or late December. Or people are investing to uh, their 401ks and IRA, putting money in it before the end of the year, even though they have more time than they think they have. Those are other reasons. Okay, from 1928 through 2018, and that's 90 years, the S&P 500 rose 62% of the time in January. So that's 56 times out of 91. The market was up in January. The January effect is a hypothesis, and like all calendar-related effects, suggests that the market as a whole are inefficient. Now, there's... Is the market efficient? Does it price in all this stuff? Do we price it and then we know that there's going to be a January effect and therefore it's going to be less impactful? And it seems to affect small caps more than mid and large cap stocks, small companies. So, what about recently? Okay, what about now? Uh, Another uh, analyst considers the January effect less important as of 2018, because there's more people using tax shelter retirement plans, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, those things. Therefore, they don't have tax law selling. Therefore, they don't need to buy in January. And that's why it has been less, the January effect has been less pronounced in recent years. So, when did this start? What year? An investment banker named Sidney Watchell First notice his effect in 1942. 1942, during World War II. From 1948 to 1959, Washtell worked as an international financial economist for the Treasury Department. Interesting, huh? Okay, let's go talk to Art Menlo Park. How you doing, Art? What's going on? Good, Steve. Welcome back from your vacation. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about um, international paper. Um, yes. I'm uh, thinking about selling it because I bought in at about 40, just over 48, and it's been uh, floundering for the last uh, probably close to a year now. So mm. uh, it got up as high as I think about 47 recently, but I'm still thinking about getting rid of it. Yeah, let's see. Let's take a look at international paper. Manufacturers, printing, writing papers, uh, pulp, packaging products, and container boards. Well, those packaging products and container boards might do well in a you know recovery, a post-COVID econ- economic recovery. So it might do well with that recovery. Right now, it's at 13 P.E., it's going to make $3.07 next year. It's a $44 stock. So it's pretty much at value because that's about about 15 PE is its norm. So it has a 23% return on equity. So this is about the price. It's pretty fairly priced right now. So it would be tough to get more. You, you need a good, re, a good return to the old economy be, before COVID, and it would probably drive this stock because of packaging, packaging products and things. Uh, and the reason why it's done well so far is because of all the shipping. and stuff. People not shopping, but they're buying online. So this, this stock is right now uh, uh, right near its old high at pre-COVID. 
So I don't, you know, the only boost you're going to get is the economy makes a full recovery and starts to run again up. So, and I actually think that will happen no matter who is elected, by the way. I think it will happen for the next year or so. Later after that, depends on who's elected. Yeah. But both presidents are, both of them are going to spend lots of money and that's going to affect the market positively and the economy next year. So, uh, yeah, you could take your profits or if you have any or, or, or lick your wounds to look for something better. I think that might not be a bad idea. All right, appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay, um, let's talk about home prices and sales. Existing home uh, home uh, are up 15%. Existing home prices are up 15%, the price, uh, from year over year to $311,800. That's the, the average. 15%. Historically low inventories and mortgage rates outweigh the current recession. You know that. That's been the one positive, really positive sector that we've been reporting on for months, the housing market. Now, it's still continuing. Guess what cities were the best in the most recent report by the by the CoreLogic company? Seattle and San Diego. Seattle prices went up 8.5%. San Diego up 7.6%. Highest gains. Now, the 20-city composite by Case-Shiller, different people doing different things, says that the 20-city composite year over year is up 9.9%. So is housing going to continue to do well? Because new home sales were down this, this week, for reported this week for last month. They were down. Not a lot, but down. They expected to be up, and they weren't. I think housing is still going to be pretty strong because I think the economy is going to turn out, turn around next year because I think, you know, it's all related. I think the economy is going to turn around because I think we're going to have a COVID uh, vaccine and better treatments. So COVID is going to fade next year, but also we're going to see a lot of government spending on the next package. So all that's going to help the housing market. And the Federal Reserve has said they're going to keep interest rates low no, even if inflation starts to pick up and get uh, get back to three percent, they may let it. They kind of hinted they're going to let it run above three percent. Remember, their target's always was two percent. They took away their target. They want inflation. They need the federal government needs inflation because of all the debt they're taking on. But no one's talking about that. So anyway, so I think I think the housing housing market is still going to stay fairly strong. I really do. 888-99-CHART. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and I encourage you to explore the financial investment information we have posted on our website, investtalk.com. You can learn about the various investment strategies, opportunities we have at KPP Financial. You can check out the Equity Income Plus program. It's a dividend uh, investing with a boost. You know, we buy stocks that pay dividends, and then we sell covered calls. Might be something that some people are interested in. That's what the boost is, that covered call writing. If you are serious about achieving financial freedom, everybody, you'll want to reach out to me or Justin at KPP Financial in Irvine, California. You can learn more by going to investtalk.com. Send me an email. Send Justin an email. Send, you know, send us information, and we'll be happy to call you and set up a meeting. And now I'm taking your questions live, 888-99-CHART. 
InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Brandon in Northern Virginia. I was looking in the medical equipment space and wanted to hear your thoughts on Penumbra, ticker PEN. Thank you. Eight 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 ninety nine chart P E N everybody. Let's take a look at it. P E N P E N. Come on, computers, speed up. P E N. Did you ever have trouble with your computers? I have troubles with mine. Uh, sometimes they <laughs> just are slow. And I have fast computers, anyways. P Penumbra Inc. Penumbra Inc. Medical Products Company. It's a uh, $8.6 billion company. It's a decent size. They're going to make $0.98 cents next year after losing $0.27 cents a share this year. Now, $0.98 cents is the most they've ever made because they made that in 2019. Before that, the highest they've ever made was $0.51. Cents. So that's a pretty good you know, pretty good uh, earnings per share jump back to its old high. Now, but what about the stock? What do they do? They develop medical devices used for neuro and... F- Peripheral vascular conditions and diseases. Uh, their sales have been increasing up until this most recent quarter in the mid 20s. This most recent quarter, sales fell 22%, which is a pretty big drop. And the stock did not drop with it. Stock is $238 per share. It's only making 98 cents a share. I'm sorry, but I can't take bring myself to say I want to buy that. Return on equity is only 8%. I'd like to see it in the teens. Cash flow is $1.25, but that is still a $238 stock. I like the field they're in. I don't like the price. The stock price is huge. They have to have a cure for cancer or some other thing that I, that they have that drives me to make the want to buy this thing. But I just don't know what what would drive it to $228 a share, $238 a share when they're going to lose 27 cents a share this year and 98 cents a share and earn 98 cents a share next year. I mean, the 200 plus, 230 plus PE? No, no. It's too expensive. Their average is 104 to 1,000 in the last five years. So they always were expensive. So there's something going on that they have that people really like, but not for me. Too expensive. P-E-N is a symbol, everybody. P-E-N. Okay, let's keep things moving. Here comes another question, this time from Nashville. Hey, guys. Michael from Nashville. What is the difference between buying a share and buying a position in a company? I see you guys say, you know, buy half a position or decrease or increase your position. But wouldn't that be the same as increasing the number of shares or decreasing the number of shares? I just want to know what the difference is between the two. Thank you. Okay, they are related, but not the same. Okay, position means 
I have a portfolio of stocks, and I want to buy a position, in other words, a company, and that co- we like to buy th- no more than 3% at a time, 3% of the overall portfolio. So when I say a half a position, I mean buy one and a half. How many shares are that equals? Well, that depends on the price per share, right? How, many, how much costly is it? Is it a $238 stock or is it a $10 stock? So if I say buy a half a position, that's half a 3%. If you say, well, let's buy some shares, that's just a, just a number of stock shares you want to own or buy. But I, you know, to a proper portfolio manager means you relate that to the overall portfolio. And I don't like to buy too much of any one thing. We, you hear us often say, don't buy more than 5% of any one stock. 5% is a pretty heavy position. <clears throat> now, how many shares of that? Well, if it's Amazon, and depending on your size of your portfolio, it could be one stock, right? <clears throat> that could be just one share because it's so pricey. So the position means how much of a percent of your overall portfolio and a number of shares depends on the price of the shares. Okay? 888-99-CHART. Most investors are expecting a market crash. This is out by Holbert. He, he, he studies this stuff. Why? There's widespread pessimism. Now, is that good for stocks or bad? Actually, it's a contrarian kind of indicator. When lots of people are pessimistic, that means they've already taken positions of defense. In other words, getting out, buying gold or going to cash, going the other way, shorting. So if there's widespread pessimism, I mean, that's already, I mean, most people that are already out there want to be out of the stock market. So therefore, there's lots of cash sitting on the sidelines. That's what that means. So, being widespread pessimism, thinking the market's going to crash, and a lot of people think that. When that happens, kind of bullish for the market, not bearish. Bullish. When everybody is content, everybody is happy, and everybody's buying more and more and higher and higher priced stocks, that's when you want to get nervous because most of the money is in the market now. So how much money is on the sidelines? That's a good thing to look at. How much money is normally on the sidelines? Well, you'll find that there's a lot of money on the sidelines, more, much more than normal. So I, I think that's a bullish indicator. Now, we're going to have volatility. We have lots of volatility the rest of this month, you know, and into the beginning of next month because of the election. But so that's that's what I think. On the next invest talk. Our bipartisan legislation is proposing changes to retirement-related measures. Did you know that? The wide-ranging bill contains perks for seniors and student loan borrowers. That's going to be tomorrow. For now, I'm Steve Peasley, and I'm ready to take your questions live. 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KD Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 chart Hi, Steve and Justin. Thank you for a great show. This is Rick from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. 
First time caller, I have a question regarding TSO, tractor supply. I'm looking into maybe buying it. I've been watching it. I saw that Bacanagos was in like 150s, then went down to 130s, then went back up in October to 150, and after earnings, they went back down to 130s. I wonder if this is a good time to buy or maybe wait even more pullback or just like to know, know that your opinion on it. I will listen to it on the podcast. Thank you. Okay, tractor supply company, the symbol is TSCO, TSCO. Uh, we own this in one or more of our managed accounts, and we have owned it for some time. Operates 2,024 retail sales stores in 49 states with plans to open about 80 tractor supply stores in 2020. So 2020 is coming to a rapid end here. We're in the fourth quarter. Their sales have been pretty strong. Uh, they were growing eight nine percent month over a quarter over a quarter until the last two quarters. Uh, June quarter up thirty five percent. The most recent quarter, September quarter, up thirty one percent sales. Earnings are going to be six dollars and forty five cents next year, and that means uh, it was six dollars sixty three cents this year. So it's topped out, but that this year was a forty two percent growth. The stock is $134, so it's per, right in the middle of its five-year range P.E., 13 to 31. It's right around 2021 P.E. range. Very strong company. Uh, we like the management. We like the company. We like the sales and earnings projections. I mean, their most recent earnings was strong. Wasn't weak. Exceeded their expectations. But stock is kind of buy the, buy the rumor, sell the news kind of thing. It's selling off. So I, I do think... I, I still think at $134, it's kind of pricey. But I, I don't necessarily want to sell it, but I don't know if I'd buy it at this range. You know, I, I think I'd like to see a bigger pullback uh, as a buyer, maybe in the 120, 125 range, but I don't know if it'll get there. I just don't know. TSCO, everybody. TSCO. 888 chart. Um, how about what you should do if you're getting close to retirement? Uh, and you're going to sell your house or just live in the house, it doesn't matter, things you should do to fix it up before you retire while you're still making money, earning money. Uh, I Number one thing, the easy thing to do, and cheap thing to do is get a new garage door. Most homes you know, face the street, and you can see the garage. And for curb appeal, if your garage door looks kind of dingy and old, that's an easy thing to do. Also for curb curb field, you can do a, a, a stone veneer on part of the house. It looks really sharp, makes the house look more, I don't know, looks more rich. You could do that. Another thing you could do is a, a, a do new siding on the house if it looks kind of shabby. Redo the siding. This is all for curb appeal. If you also want to, if you really, really want to increase the value of your home, it's always focus on the kitchen and the bathroom. When someone comes to buy your house, the kitchens and the bathrooms are what really sells it. So if you if you if you plan on doing that, those are things you should focus on. Now you don't have to do a whole new kitchen or a whole new bathroom. Just like resurfacing your cabinets would help a great deal. You know, I mean, just some, something that simple would help value very very much. So those are some suggestions. Then you can also add a deck. People love decks. I don't know how much people, how many people use them, but they love them. 
Adding a deck will help also. I have a number of brother-in-laws who are real estate appraisers, and they give me these kind of ideas of, you know, what makes a house sell better and faster and all those kinds of things. Adding a swimming pool to your house doesn't really add much value. It adds value, but not any more than if you didn't have a pool. In other words, the cost of the pool is so high that it doesn't necessarily make it worth it. So, at least that's what they're telling me. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another Investop program. I will return tomorrow, I promise. In the meantime, please tell your friends and family members that they can choose over 100 archived Investop podcasts, all free, all free downloads. You can do it at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and investtalk.com. And remember, we also stream the program live each weekday from the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time at investtalk.com. Independent thinking, share success. This is Investtalk. Good night, everybody. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 